Well, Ellie, it is surprisingly difficult to give money away without causing more, more harm than help. People don't always realize that. But if you're not sure, just look at the life history of um, uh, uh, lottery winners who suddenly get $10 million. And, and you see lives almost invariably that have deteriorated and are unrecognizably miserable. Um, it is very, very difficult to give large sums of money, or, or for that matter, even smaller sums of money away without causing harm rather than help. Very, very hard. You think you know what it takes to make a lot of money? Well, our next guest knows what it takes, and he knows what it doesn't take. We're going to discuss a couple of the reasons people think they need to have or know to make some money, and he completely obliterates those reasons. Very insightful episode. We spoke about lessons from the Bible, about money, what it takes to live a happier more gratitude-filled life. We spoke about charity. We spoke about the lottery. You think you want to win the lottery? After listening to what Rabbi Lappin says, I don't think you're going to want to win. Be like, no, no, no. I, I can really use the 50 million. Go easy there, Tiger. Without further ado, I give you the one, the only, Rabbi Daniel Lappin. Being a Jew? Awesome. Managing personal finances, not so awesome. Welcome to Kosher Money. Welcome back to Kosher Money. Privileged to have another returning guest, Rabbi Daniel Lappin from South Africa, now living in the States. Welcome back. Oh, South Africa is a long time ago, Ali, a long time ago. Do you go but, visit? Uh, actually, I don't. <coughs> Pardon me. I've been back to different parts of Africa as a speaker. Uh, I've been brought back to uh, to various countries, but um, but I've not been back to my homeland uh, since I left, which is uh, about forty years ago. So <laughs> maybe we have to do a traveling are, tour. Yeah, yeah, that would be interesting. That would be nice, yeah, right? It would be. But anyway, it's great to be back here, even if I haven't been back to South Africa. Thank you. It is good to be back with you here at Kosher Money. Yeah, I mean, I, I think our other episode, our first episode. Um, titled Why Are Jews So Wealthy has garnered over a half a million views and streams and listens and not to our credit I think you shared insights in there from your book and people were like just let him continue talking we'll get the whole book but uh, (laughs) it doesn't work that way Um, but yeah I did want to cover and and you mentioned in the previous episode that there are erroneous thoughts as to why Jews are wealthy, and you list out a handful of them yes. in the in the episode. But I'd like to talk about one, you know, one that comes to mind when people think, oh, there are reasons as to why Jews are wealthy. What are some of the mistaken reasons? Uh, well, one of them is um, intelligence, that Jews are smart. And um, this one was remarkably easy to debunk uh, because, first of all, uh, while Jewish IQ on average, and you know, and, and IQ is very much a statistical um, uh, f- characteristic, really, but um, uh, although Jewish IQ on average, generally speaking, uh, is higher than average, 
um, the uh, it's not the highest in the United States uh, any anymore. So that's number one. Uh, although Jewish financial achievement still remains n- number one in terms of a discrete demographic group. Um, the second thing is that uh, uh, you know our mothers all told us. I'm sure your mother your mother went to the same mothering school as mine did, and you know she probably said to you at some point time or another, um, Ellie, stop being too smart for your own good. You know something like that. Um, being overly smart. Uh, is a drawback in human relationships and business and making money, if nothing, is all about human relationships. And uh, in general, you know, I think we all feel this when when we're in negotiation or, or discussion with somebody who's much, much smarter than we are, you kind of feel like there's an agenda maybe going on you're not privy to, you don't really know what's going on. So we're not comfortable. And the, the evidence is that it's very simple, and that is that the smartest people in America go and work on the faculties of universities. And anybody in the financial services business knows that nobody, but nobody is worse with money than folks on the faculties of universities, academics. So, so no, uh, the idea that, um, that, that IQ and brilliance is, is a help, it isn't. Now, the other end isn't either. Forrest Gump is an old movie from many years ago about a, uh, a guy, sort of very low IQ guy, but a lovable guy who, who becomes a tycoon. It's important to remember that's a movie, it's not reality. Uh, the intelligence distribution curve, you know, is a typical bell-shaped distribution, and at the very low end, um, people do not do very well at money. But at the very high high end, they do equally badly. Uh, the the model of Bill Gates or Warren Buffett are outliers. Mm. Uh, the norm is the Sam Waltons of the world, ordinary guy like you and me, a guy who drove a pickup truck and and just just an ordinary guy, but you know, hardworking and who understands how the world really works. That's important, and and of course that is the the Jewish secret. So you've listed many others in your book, and I've read part of your book, and it's super insightful. And I know you, the book, by the way, is called "Thou Shall Prosper." And it's not the only book no, you've written, uh, right? The, another one is "Business Secrets from the Bible," and I'd, I mention that because otherwise, how do we sell books? Yes, and I do want to actually get into that <laughs> during the course of this episode. Yeah, sure. Um, I know you, you have a podcast, right? Yes. Um, the Rabbi Daniel Lapin Show. The Rabbi Daniel Lapin Show is yes. And you mentioned the five F's. What ah, what are oh those, my. and what should people know about it? This is really uh, tremendously important. Uh, it's very easy to dissipate the most valuable commodity we have, which is time. Everything else, you know, w- w- we can manage with. Time is what is the real shortage commodity. And so it's really important uh, in, in, in every aspect of successful living to make sure that time counts. And, um, and that means one has to identify what are the most important things in life. And um, I, I distill them into five Fs uh, just to make them easy to remember. And uh, I have a new book coming out soon on that. And, and 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 here's the 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 important thing, Ellie. A car 
is not, you know, I like cars. A terrific car isn't a car with uh, German Brembo brakes but a lousy engine. What makes a really great car is the smooth integration of everything. So, uh, you know, Hyundai makes a fairly decent car, uh, one of its models. If um, if I bought that car, took out the engine and put in a Mercedes-Benz AMG uh, six-liter engine, it's not going to make the car any better because it's not going to integrate with the transmission and the suspension. That's what's really important. Successful living is the same way, exactly the same thing. And the, the five areas that if you get these things right, you should literally be praying without any diversion three times a day filled with gratitude to our boss. you got no complaints in life. What are the five Fs? In no particular order, because they, they need to be visualized as an integrated system, so the order is insignificant. In no particular order, uh, finance, family, faith, friendships, and fitness. And, and the, the part that, that takes a little bit of work is understanding... Um, how family is vital to finances and how faith is actually important when it comes to fitness. And so it is how all of these things integrate to provide a complete system. But let's face it, if you have a wonderful marriage and a terrific family and you've got no financial worries to keep you awake at night and you've got good friends and thank God you're in good health, uh, and you have a connection with God, faith being the last one, you don't have a lot to complain about in life. Those are my five Fs. I teach them and focus on them, and I do coaching groups and uh, master mind groups on that because that's what, what, what's really important. People don't always know that if you, know, if you want a terrific family, um, there are other things you have to focus on as well. If you want a terrific bank account, you can't just focus exclusively on that. Uh, we are holistic beings. Hashem, God made us into complicated uh, uh, images of him in which totality and unity is, is, is hugely important. What do you, Rabbi Lappin, do to stay cognizant of the five Fs practically, right? When you go through the week, it's very easy to be habitual are you pulling out some sort of system that you're visualizing and saying, okay, where am I holding every Sunday as it pertains to these five Fs? What are you doing and what can you teach the audience to improve their five Fs? Yes. Uh, well, what I recommend is that uh, everybody does this. Everybody should carry. Um, every day you replenish it every morning, you know, about 23 by 5 index cards and you tuck them together with an elastic band, always color match to your tie. And Okay, that part's not important. And, um, and, and that way, um, at the end of uh, every day, you're able to take, you see, it's an idea capture device. Anything that occurs to you, anybody you meet, a, a, a to-do project, something occurs to you during the day, um, it's, you know, you take out a phone and try and tap it into your phone, you've interrupted a conversation. And, and, you know, here we are talking, if, if, if you stimulate me to an idea, which you always do, and I grab my phone, I, I'm no longer with you. Mm -hmm. But if I take out my index cards and while we're talking, I just take, 
it hasn't interrupted the conversation. And so um, I, I do that, and uh, at the end of, of every day, I, I run through it, and I, I, I do a journal. Mm -hmm. I actually uh, write down, and, and this is a hugely important thing for progress in life financially as well as anything else. Um, you know, it's interesting to note, it's funny, is it not, that Winston Churchill, when, um, when, when he passed on, we were able to look at his journal mm. and see everything he wrote day by day. The, during the intense period of World War II, every single day he was busy journaling. Um, and so many famous people in history left journals. You know, how come the bus driver of the number five bus... Um, you know, in, uh, in, in Lawrence, Kansas. Where's his journal? Well, here's the thing. It's not that famous people happen miraculously to have left journals, but the act of writing a journal mm. makes you more likely to be a person of, uh, of stunning achievement and success. So, so that's a very important thing. And I, I, I do have uh, my journals laid out in terms of, of my five F's and, and I, I monitor and uh, there are times where I need to focus a little more on, on family, mm -hmm. you know, maybe there's a week where something's going on uh, or I have to, I think to myself, you know what, I've, I've, I, I need to focus on the fitness side and, but, but generally speaking, uh, you're trying to make sure that, uh, that you're progressing on all. You don't want to be like um, a, a, a Tour de France bicycle racer mm -hmm. with these massive developed legs <laughs> that look like oak trees, you know, and these spindly little arms because you only need to hold the handlebars. But uh, you need to be fully developed, and, and this, this happens. You know, we, we have a value uh, in ancient Jewish wisdom, as I call it, of shleimut, meaning totality, completion. Mm -hmm. It's related to the word shalom, which is peace. Uh, peace and tranquility and harmony come from the overall and uniform development of the complete en entity. I would imagine during your work and traveling and speeches and seminars and interviews, mm -hmm. people have asked you, what is the secret to blank? What is the secret to a happy marriage? What is the secret <laughs> yes. to a successful business? Yeah. What is the secret to making a lot of money? Is there is there a general theme to how you answer them, and what what is the answer? Um, my answer is tremendously unsatisfactory uh -oh. and uh, and wins me no prizes. <laughs> Um, but but at least I have the uh, the advantage of of retaining my veracity, in the sense that I tell the truth on this. Uh, the notion that there is one secret to anything trivializes life. That's that's not the life we live. That's not the world in which God placed us. Um, and and so perhaps the one big secret of marriage is knowing that there is not one big secret to marriage. Uh, what's the you know what's the one most important thing about trying to increase my income and increase my revenue? Well, the one most important thing is to know that there is not only one important thing, mm. and uh, and the five F program I think sort of uh, em emulates that that same idea that you can't oversimplify life, you can't oversimplify anything. You know, uh, p women's perfumes are very complicated compounds. And um, one, of the, uh, uh, one of the most important ingredient in an expensive perfume is something called ambergris. Uh, ambergris is from the intestine of a whale, 
when my family and I sailed our boat across the Pacific a few years back, uh, we actually saw ambergris floating around. Had I known how expensive it was, we'd have stopped the boat and <laughs> hauled some out. Um, but the, the stuff stinks. I mean, it's, it's really unpleasant stuff. Vitally important ingredient in a high-quality perfume. You know, I'm an ignoramus. I decided to go into the perfume business. You know, I like oil of roses, and I'll even stretch to musk oil. I mean, I don't like killing a musk deer to get the gland, but fine, I'll do that. But I draw the line at the stinky ambergris stuff. I'm going to fail. Complicated things have many different ingredients, and leaving one out can be fatal. Is that to say that there aren't common denominators with the Elon Musk, Bill Gates, Mark Zuckerbergs of the world? And if not, what are some of the common denominators in very successful people, successful marriages? Um, sure. So, Did uh, I just ask the same question, but in a different way? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I'm going in circles here. No, I, it's not. I mean, I, I think by raising those people... Uh, you're, you're in a sense giving the Jewish version of what little kids are sometimes told in in uh, in you know little kids are you know you can become a basketball player and you'll get out of this neighborhood and you're going to really make it. Look, that little kid has got as much chance of playing for the NBA as I do. Actually, probably maybe a bit more, but um, uh, certainly as much chance as a Jewish kid has of becoming an Elon Musk or a, uh, a Bill Gates. Look, um, dropping out of Harvard before you graduate and um, uh, is, is really not the avenue to success unless you were born on the cusp of, or you came of age on the cusp of the computer revolution. Uh, your mother was on the board of IBM, which was the dominant computer company of the time. And, and your dad uh, was one of the prominent and influential um, lawyers of, of the United States of America. That, for those stars to all align, makes you Bill Gates. Mm -hmm. But the fact is, you really do not have to become Bill Gates to be astonishingly successful. And so I encourage people to put those pictures out of your mind completely. Um, I um, am not very good at dancing at weddings. Actually, I'm not very good at dancing at all. <laughs> this is just not a big strength of mine. Now, um, it, could a dancing teacher improve me? I would say absolutely. There's no question about it that if I, if I had a good teacher... Uh, I'd, I'd get a whole lot better than I am. Would I, el would I ever become, you know, Rudolf Nureyev? That's ridiculous. I don't have to aspire to that. I just have to aspire to looking a little less like a drunk trying to stamp on cockroaches. And so it is financially. We don't have to aspire to Mark Zuckerberg. Uh, better you don't. Um, but you should aspire to... Um, uh, significant uh, financial success and security. So when people hear that to achieve or uh, strive to achieve financial success, they say, does Hashem, does God want that from me, right? Money is inherently dirty. Money uh, or, oh, yes. or abundance of it is completely materialistic. Yes, That's not what God wants from me. He wants me to study Torah, he wants me to do good things, but if I'm spending my time focusing on that 
financial, that F in the in the five Fs, I'm doing something wrong. Is that is that the right way of thinking or the wrong way? Well, um, uh, for a start, I'll I'll say that uh, you're not the only one asking that. It's an astonishingly common uh, paradigm. And not only in our faith, but even among my Christian friends, and you know that I I have many Christian friends and I spend a lot of time uh, in the Christian world, um, it's it's prevalent there as well, where, where many, many good and wonderful people feel that somehow um, the love I have for God, right? And, and they, they do and we do. We love our God uh, for his goodness and his greatness and his giving and his abundance and, uh, and his kindness and his strength. And so... We, 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 we easily reach the point of feeling, well, you know, I'm, I'm connecting with him. I'm becoming more spiritual. And that means I have to remove myself from what we call the, the gashmias, you know, the, from the materialistic part of life. This is very, very common and, uh, and something we, we experience and, and encounter a great deal. Um, and, and it's a huge problem because... Um, it, it is based on a misunderstanding. It's based on a misunderstanding of the holistic aspect of life. But, but more than that, it's, it's based on a misunderstanding of what Hashem, what God wants for us. Uh, you only have to first of all ask the question, where did money come from? Like, was God distracted by some trouble in the Middle East? And when he next looked down... <laughs> Oh, no, look at those dreadful human beings. You know, they've created this thing, money. Oh, we're going to... No, that's not only is that not part of it, but money is actually from God. It is part of his plan for human interaction. Really, Lapin? How do you know that? Well, it's pretty obvious. There are more laws concerning money in the Torah than there are about uh, kosher food, dietary laws. For heaven's sake, we've, we've got a, a, a hugely important and, and significant book in day-to-day Jewish life called the Shulchan Aruch. It's the code of Jewish law. And more than, you know, there are four volumes. One of those volumes is the Choshen Mishpat, is the law, is the volume having to do with finances. And I say a bit more than a quarter is financial because it's pretty big. It's a, it's a big one. Mm-hmm. And one of those books is Evan Iezer. That's the other F family. So, uh, uh, so yes, um, money is part of God's plan. Look, um, as people in government discover, giving away other people's money is really fun. Spending other people's money is really fun. But um, God tells us to give away our own, right? In Deuteronomy chapter 15, uh, the rules about how to interact with poor people, mm-hmm. what poor means actually. And um, you can't give anything away if you don't have. But there's even so much more to that. You know, the, uh, the, the whole idea of... Um, uh, of falling into the trap you allude to. And, and, and it's easy, you know, because in the, the fourth chapter of Pirkei Avos, the fourth chapter of the Mishnah we call Ethics of the Fathers, um, we have uh, who is wealthy, 
right? And the Mishnah says, he who is happy with his lot. And it's very easy to say, well, you see, let's, let's do a podcast about creating wealth. And now that we've got everyone's attention, we'll say, we're going to devote the rest of today's show about learning how to be content with what we have. And that way, everyone's going to be wealthy, because the Mishnah says, who is wealthy? He who is happy, not with what he has, but with his chalak, with his portion. So that raises this very complicated Mishnah, which, by the way, Pirkei Avot is not found in, you know, in Kochim. It's found in the Seder of Nazikin. It's found in the part of the Mishnah having to do with finances. Mm-hmm. You know, so don't make the mistake of thinking that ethics of the fathers isn't about money. It is. And who is wealthy? Not he who is happy with what he has, because that would define uh, a vagrant living in his tent on Broadway. Mm-hmm. Right? No. Uh, uh, happy with his portion. So we've got to define what a portion is. And more than that, each of these statements in that Mishnah is followed up with a quote from Scripture. What is the quote here? Yegiyah kapecha ki Through the work of your hands you will eat. Asherecha v'tovlach. Then you will be happy and it will be well with you. So this is not by any means the way I misunderstood it. Oh, listen, just be happy with what you got. And you learn the art of happiness and contentment and you'll be as wealthy as... No, that's simply not true. We're talking money here. We're not talking philosophical concepts. We're not talking mindsets. And uh, a great deal of stress and, uh, and unhappiness in, in parts of the Orthodox world uh, you know, we talk about the uh, the, the uh, educational crisis and everything else. A lot of the unhappiness and stress flows from the mistakes we're talking about, where uh, where people are tragically uh, downplaying the the F of finance. Dun, 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 introducing a sponsor message. We'll be right back to this week's episode. But first, can we do the do every single time? I don't know if we. It's a special. You have to keep it. Sh- Surly, you know, please. Surly is our editor. Surly, could you please just cut that out and put that into every? Okay, let's get to the message. So, I'm in the process of of buying a home. I mean, I've been looking for a home for a long time, and we don't have to get into the nitty gritties where I'm going. But what I do want to say is. It is so complicated to buy a house. You've done it. You probably have blocked out what you need to do. There's so many moving parts. You want a good lawyer. You want a good uh, inspector. You want a good mortgage guy. And that's why I love Shmuel Shiwitz. When it comes to mortgages, there's a billion things to learn. And you can't just you know learn it all in, in one sitting. It's literally, you know, I know we did a, a, an episode on it, but it's still, it's, as helpful as it was, it's not enough to really understand. And you really need someone looking out for you and taking care of you. I was talking to a friend of mine, and mm-hmm. I was talking to him about the rates. And you let's let's uh, you play my friend. Go for it. Hey, Yaakov. He doesn't sound like friend. that. You have to do something. No. Uh, hey, friend. Uh, what are you, what rates did you get? Oh, rates are astronomically Wait, high in 2022. Yeah, but there's different options because you don't have to lock in right away. You could wait a little. You could buy down. You got your your mortgage guy didn't tell you about that. He mentioned something or whatever. We wanted to close pretty quickly. Exactly. That is the type of you know mortgage guy that is 
he's okay, but at the end of the day, you want someone who's... You're a fan of Shmuel Shaiwitz. Yeah, you want someone like Shmuel who, who literally, I'm on the phone with him, I'm talking to him, I'm not sure, he's like, ask anything you want, he takes care of you, and that's my experience when it comes to home buying, when it comes to anything real estate, he's just as transparent, honest, and he's good at what he does. Love he, it. You know, when, when someone says, I will get you the best, and I will try my best, and very open and honest, that's what you need. We got to get you an I Love Shmuel Shiawitz t-shirt. I would wear that. You would, right? I don't know if my wife would be so happy. Like, what? Yeah. But, yeah. Okay. And my wife. Yeah. <laughs> I love Shmuel Shiawitz and my, and my wife. wife. There you go. Uh, that's really cool. Really cool. He's, a, he's an awesome dude. Search up his name. Click on the news section in Google. He's featured in articles pretty much weekly giving his insights. And he can only have those insights because of his almost three decades of experience. So look it up. Approved funding approvedfunding.com slash mortgages tell him your friends at kosher money sent you and without further ado wait hold on and do, if you do that do, 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 hold on oh, wait yeah. and if you do that what does he give you a free t-shirt no i mean maybe he'll do that also but he'll he'll drop the the costs of the oh yes yes Damn. he does have incentives there in place go. for our listeners he'll drop the bank fees and without further ado do do do, do back <laughs> to rabbi lapin so we're talking here about different scriptures, different Mishnayas that are, of course, biblical. So is there, and I know you have a book about this, and I'd like to talk about biblical secrets for making money. If you were to open up a Mishnayas, a Chumash, um, the Talmud, what are versus what are secrets that are within that people should know about in order to increase their income. Here is um, why I like to joke that everybody needs a rabbi. It's not just because I like to stay fully employed. Mm -hmm. Um, It's because, uh, like any technical topic, uh, it requires considerable effort and dedication in order to extract the information you need. Uh, The way that God's book is laid out is much more like the human brain than like an encyclopedia. Uh, Or like Google today, for instance. You know, if I want to look up finance on Google, uh, my problem will be how many uh, hits there will be. It, I, I'm going to have to find a way of homing in and narrowing it down because it, it just it's too much. If you look up finance on an encyclopedia, you'll go to the F page and you, it'll take you to finance. You got it. But um, uh, the the Torah is laid out more the way uh, the human brain is. There isn't a particular, you cannot identify the group of cells or neurons in the brain uh, that holds the information on, uh, um, you know, your your children's names. We, it, it's all over the place. It's a little bit like the way information data is um, is placed on a computer hard drive or on a, so, or on a solid state drive. Once again, it's all over the place, and there are complicated algorithms for retrieving what is needed. Uh, it's a little bit like that. So, um, you, you, and, and I make that, that point, Ellie, because uh, you and I could both, in, in just a few minutes, pull out a verse to say whatever you wanted to say. Mm-hmm. You know? Find me a verse or, or a reference that poverty is good. Yeah. 
you know, um, bread and, and water you should live on. And sure enough, I can find that. Mm-hmm. Um, find me that uh, that wealth is, okay, yeah, I got that as well. You know, uh, the thing is to be able to assemble the entire tapestry and, um, and, and from the, the stepping back, the overall picture, studying the spiritual topography of the Torah, uh, you then are able to, to, to understand the direction it's going. But there's a reason that the same volume that, that we both love and that I alluded to earlier, Pirkei Avot, The Ethics of the Father, speaks about uh, make for yourself a rabbi. Mm-hmm. It doesn't say buy encyclopedias or buy books. Mm-hmm. You, you, everybody needs because this is a transmission. It's an oral Torah. It's a Torah Shabal Peh, and and the transmission um, means that it, it's very helpful to be initiated into it by somebody who was initiated into it by his father or by his teacher or hers. So, um, uh, and and so that's why uh, I you know I didn't hand out an index card with the one secret of making money. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had to write some books. I had to. To, to develop some online teaching programs so people can uh, wrap themselves around the whole thing. But, but you know, one, one thing I'd, I'd, I'd start on perhaps is um, the idea of, um, of connection, hugely important. If you ask what was Hashem's plan, what was God's plan with money, what did he intend? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we know what the idea of it is. We get it. Uh, we, we understand that the very popular slang term for money, found in many cultures, by the way, bread. You know, can you lend me some bread? Or have you got any dough on you? Mm-hmm. Is straight out of the first couple of chapters of Genesis. Today it's of sourdough. Now, Sorry? now they reference sourdough. That's the latest craze. So For money? No, I, uh, we're, that's uh, where we're uh, getting. That's yeah, what most right. the, the latest craze. Yeah. Yeah, right. But this relation, this understanding that uh, that uh, bread is a biblical stand-in for money, yeah, that, that, that's that, that that is straight out of uh, uh, Torah thinking, and so uh, so yes, we do know that um, that God's plan is that people shouldn't be alone and isolated, because lonely and isolated people live poor and short lives. It's not good. Um, how do we connect with people? Well, I don't think it's necessarily very good to do business with friends, but it's wonderful to make friends out of business associates. I like that. And um, people do it all the time. Um, I, I had the, the joy of being at the wedding of a daughter of a disciple of a student of mine last night, and um, the father of the bride um, is a prominent businessman. And a lot of the guests at the wedding who were going up to him and dancing with him and giving him a big hug, business associates. And, uh, and so God gives us two ways out of the existential torment of aloneness. And one of them is marriage and family. And the other one is, uh, is making money. And they are both pleasurable in different ways. So you describe how one's ability to make money is proportional to the number of people who know you, like you, trust you, do business with. Many introverts are listening. 
are they doomed? Is there a way that they can be prosperous and be successful if it doesn't come easy to them? Yeah. Um, so here, here is the thing I think it's important to, to bear in mind. Um, the, the book of Ruth, Megillat Ruth, is um, chronologically located. Shmuel Hanavi wrote it between Shoftim, between Judges and Shmuel, even though we have it in Ksuvim, not in Nevi'im. But that's where it, it is a segue between those two books. And the book of Judges ends by Amim Ahem, Ein Melech Israel. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did that which was right in his eyes. You can tell this. There's something of a societal breakdown here. This is this is this is not setting us up for good news at all. And now we open with the first verse of the book of Ruth, and we have um, and Chazal explained that that means that, that not the days the judges judged. That's a different construction in Hebrew. This means the day the judges were judged. Mm. By who? The litigants. They didn't like what the judges said. They went and demonstrated outside their residences. and their, If you can imagine such an astonishing breakdown of society. Um, that's how the Book of Ruth starts. And the very next phrase, Vayhi Ra'av Ba'aretz. And there was a famine in the land. And oddly enough, in a, in a very unusual way, we now meet the protagonists with no names. The next verse tells us there was this guy, and, uh, and he had a wife, also anonymous, and he had two sons, also anonymous. It's not until a little later that we find out their names. This is a lot like the, the book of Exodus opens, because we don't call the book of Exodus Exodus. In Hebrew, it's Shemot, the book of names. Paradoxically, the second chapter of the book of names begins with, and a man from the house of Levi went and married a woman from the house of Levi. Like, any names? Hello, anybody? What did they put on the invitation, you know? And, uh, and then they had a baby. And the, the mom looked at the baby and she said, mm, nice looking kid. Like, is there ever a mother in history that didn't look at her kid and said, no, you know, what is this? And then um, uh, they have to put him in a river in the, in the Nile because we're living under a dreadful tyranny. And um, she uh, puts her, the, the kids, the baby's older sister is put, you know, watches her name. Yeah, no, her name neither. And then comes Princess Anonymous, the daughter of Pharaoh. The very first time a name shows up is she, Princess, the daughter of Pharaoh, takes Moses to look after him. And uh, the anonymous sister says, oh, I can find you an anonymous Jewish woman who will take care of the baby as, as a nanny. Like, no names. Until finally the daughter of Pharaoh says, yeah, let's call him Moses. And the very next verse after that begins the deliverance. Moses goes out and kills his first Egyptian right there. No names is a sign of societal breakdown. It means no connection, no mm. communication. Obviously, under Pharaoh's tyranny, 
and, and in any form of slavery, human connectivity suffers badly. And in the days of the Book of Ruth, yeah, same thing. And sure enough, we see that he, he wasn't a person who wanted to be connected to his people. He was detached. But the whole rest of the Book of Ruth is the story of connection until it ends with the uh, hierarchical uh, description of the genealogy from Peretz, the son of Yehuda and Tamar, all the way to the ultimate king of Israel, David, Melech Israel, king of Israel. The, the book is a book of connectivity, and, I, and I'll just tell you one other thing that's beautiful in terms of this, because if we're talking about one thing that is not necessarily... Um, a part of how our people always think. Uh, you know, I mean, can you believe it? The, the, the Rambam brings down the rules. If you're in the middle of praying and somebody comes up and talks to you, like, what do we do? Mm -hmm. Go away. It's wrong. You actually have to interrupt the prayer and talk to him, which we know from when Abraham was talking to God and the three angels come along who he thinks are three people, and he says to God, hey, God, excuse me, I've got to take care of these people. Connection is what God wants us to do, but it's not how we automatically think. And, and um, interestingly enough, you know, although only about 50% of the verses in Tanakh begin with the word and, which our English teachers told us not to do, in the Book of Ruth, 90% of the verses begin with a vav. Nine zero? Nine zero, 90% wow. of them. Uh, because it's a book of connection. The book is, is four chapters that lead us from no name, no connection, to the ultimate in love and, and, uh, and, and human affection and ultimately connection. So, yeah, so one thing um, I, would, I would speak about and do a lot is that uh, we don't think seriously about um, the number the, the number and the quality of our friends and of our connections and of our associates. And we, don't, we certainly don't work um, meticulously on building that. I'm not talking about Facebook friends. I'm talking about real friends. People who return your call within 24 hours. So you're saying even if someone's not an extrovert and they're introvert, if they focus on the quality you of know, those this relationships. Is, yeah, right. This is like, um, uh, you know, if I, if I meet a football player and he's walking around with a cast, I say, hey, what happened to you? He said, I broke my leg. When did this happen? Um, seven years ago. You haven't played for seven years? No, no, I'm, I, I'm no longer a football player. I'm a broken leg guy. Mm -hmm. No, you get it fixed up. Right. right. A teenager has uh, uh, acne and pimples. You know, teenagers will spend the equivalent of the gross domestic product of half the countries in the United Nations on pharmaceuticals to clear up their faces. They don't just walk around and say, hi, I'm a pimply guy. You fix things that are wrong. And somehow the idea of introverted... And, and yes, there is such a thing. I mean, there are people who get restored and re-energized by, uh, by being alone. There are other people who get restored and re-energized by being with other people. I get all that. But being excited about meeting new people, um, loving other human beings, really, really loving them. I mean, imagine how different your whole understanding of customer service is. That when somebody walks into a post office... Right, you do not get the sense that the people behind the counter love you. Mm -hmm. But when you walk into FedEx, very often in a good FedEx location, you they really care about you. They want your package to get to where it's going. 
Uh, when, you, when you can make yourself actually feel good about other human beings, your whole attitude of service, your whole attitude of business, everything is different. So, uh, so yes, even, uh, you know, I, I think of, of friends that I've helped make the transition from Kolel, from a, an advanced uh, study program into the wonderful world of business. Um, and, and it really is important, right? Because if, if you've been studying Torah and you're in your mid-20s or early 30s, uh, the notion that then you're going to become an actuary or a dentist, it's, it's a long shot. Mm -hmm. It's very, very, very draining, very, very difficult. But God has provided a beautiful substitute. It's called business. And you can get into that literally within a week. It changes everything. And one of the things that, uh, that I focus on are exercises of connectivity, how to join up, basically, you know, lessons from the Book of Ruth, how to, how to build associations and build connections that are authentic. I don't know if you have them. Have you ever seen these monthly business development meetings? You go, you know, the second Wednesday of every month, you have a breakfast meeting, everybody exchanges business yes, cards. Yeah, networking. Stay away from them. Stay away from them. I mean, who wants to spend breakfast surrounded by venal, hungry, ambitious people? Mm-hmm. Right, you know, rather go to a uh, the board of directors meeting of a local charity or the Rotary Club, or anything, mm -hmm. and you'll be with people who are actually trying to do something valuable, and then you do business with them. And sure enough, much, 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 much more real business is contracted when you are surrounded by people who are givers than people who are eagerly scanning the room for a new customer. Right. There's so many offshoots of things you've said that I want to go and. So you're friends with Dave Ramsey. Yes. You've. Um, been a fan of his for many years um you've been interviewed you interviewed him is there something you've learned from him whether money or about people that you think is part of the reason he is successful well the same missioner we alluded to before not only says who is wealthy uh, he who is uh, happy with his portion but it also says he who is who is wise um uh he who uh, uh learns from every person but um, you think to yourself, is that, I mean, do I really learn from every person? No, if you again look at the verse, it's David Amalek saying, Mikol Malam Dai Hiskalti. It doesn't say from every human being I've become wise. I've become wise from those people who had something to teach me. <laughs> Dave, Dave Ramsey has plenty to teach. And apropos of our previous conversation, um, I think if I had to identify one uh, wonderful thing about Dave is... Uh, um, his ebullient and effervescent love of humanity, of people. Mm. He really does. And um, when, when he meets somebody or talks to somebody, uh, and I've, I've seen him do this, somebody who, who reveals debt and uh, mountains of, of debt and the person is just worn down, he feels, he feels that the, the sadness really permeates him. And conversely, he, he delights and finds joy when people using his system break free of debt. So uh, um, he, he, I think what I learned is something I also learned from the great master salesman, Zig Ziglar, who was a dear friend. Um, they, they really, they not only love folks, but their faces show it. You know, we have a, a Jewish principle, I have a Mechabel, it called meeting people, you know, meet people with a nice face. And I'm not nearly as good at this as I am, but Dave encourages me and Zig encouraged me. Um, 
it's important to be aware of your of your um, uh, expression and of your face. Check it in the mirror. You know, ask your your spouse or your kids to to tell you when you're you're frowning. Um, and and I I don't smile enough, or uh, you know, I, I tend to be much more uh, fire and brimstone in certain ways. So um, uh, no, it's important to to show people to actually love folks and and to show them that you care about them and you love them so that's a really important part of of the entire process of uh finding a foothold in the wonderful world of business i want to talk um self-help books leadership books for a moment i've read books to be a better leader to be a better communicator and they're great in the moment though do they have long-lasting effect? And if not, what can someone actually practically do to become a better leader, a better communicator, a better person? So, um, uh, Zig Ziglar used to say, you have to reread them regularly. He says, everyone needs a shower, but you don't take one and call it, you know, you gotta, you got to renew it. And so that's what he used to say. And I think there's something to that. Um, a lot of people have difficulty reading books, which is why, by the way, audio books are, are a wonderful invention. Um, but uh, uh, hearing or, or reading something twice is, is even more difficult. So uh, talking about uh, communication, um, to give you one example, yes, look, uh, if I had to identify what is the single most important part of my body uh, for doing business and making a living I mean, other than the brain or, you know and my soul and so on but in terms of the visible body uh, I would say mouth you know unless you are a swimwear model mm -hmm. um, a job for which I once applied <laughs> and got turned down I can't, I can't imagine why. Well, it's because of anti-Semitism. It, <laughs> it just shows that anti-Semitism is alive and well. And <laughs> but, um, uh, but, but yeah, the mouth, to be able to uh, articulate. And um, one of the reasons that I, I often tell people who are lucky enough to be invited to give a speech, never read your speech. Don't, don't take notes mm. and, and sort of have them then look you, you mustn't do that and and there are techniques that i teach for getting over that mm -hmm. because nobody wants to read what your speechwriter wrote nobody wants to hear you read what your speechwriter wrote what if you wrote it and yeah. even if you wrote it it doesn't mm -hmm. matter because a speech you have a long time to sit and figure it out but when you're talking to somebody or you're speaking to an audience directly you feel you're gaining a glimpse into the person's soul mm -hmm. and and in fact you really are and, um, and so one of the ways to be able to articulate more effectively um, is, again, using a Torah principle, using a, a, a fundamental idea from uh, the, the, the whole uh, technology of Torah, in a sense, is, look, um, our understanding of speech is very, very basic. It takes us all the way back to the beginning of the Torah, the book of Genesis, and it says, nishmat God breathed into Adam's nose the breath of life. And uh, Chazal, Jew, ancient Jewish wisdom, teaches that God, at that point, gives him the ability to speak. And, um, 
and we we have an understanding that that is the moment from which the calendar begins. So we're in the year 5782. It's that how that's how many years ago. Not that Adam was formed or that uh, no, from when he opened his mouth to start speaking. That's how important it is. And um, and so is there a way to develop our ability to speak? Absolutely. Um, one is stop. Other, with the exception of the Kosher Money podcast, stop watching so much video. Mm. Stop watching movies. It's, it's tremendously damaging to our ability because it, it energizes a passivity in a, an oxymoronic kind of a way. Uh, it makes us passive recipients. There's no mental problem. Everything is fed to us. You're not even exercising your imagination because it's all pictures. That's why your mom and my mom told us, stop watching TV, read a book. Mm -hmm. Because the understanding was that the cognitive process of reading a book makes you a better person, a more effective person. You want to improve the, uh, your ability to articulate, cut back on watching time and read from a good book aloud in English for half an hour, four times a week. Mm. Spend two hours a week letting your own ears hear what your own lips and tongues and mouths articulate. Mm -hmm. And um, within about two or three months, even if you don't notice that your friends are going to say, you know, what do you do? You swallowed a dictionary? You're sounding, you're sounding good. It's not easy to follow the discipline, but force yourself to read aloud for four half-hour sessions every week. And Love your that. ability, it's hugely important for, for business success. It dawned on me as you were saying this, the power of communication. Moshe, Moses, our, our greatest leader, had a speech impediment, and yet he still connected with the audience because he was speaking from his heart. There was a certain connection there that touched people regardless of how he was sounding when he spoke. Right. This is a guy who starts off when we meet him with a speech impediment, right. and when we say goodbye to him, he's just finished talking nonstop for 30 days, the entire book of Deuteronomy. Right. How do you go from a speech impediment to a 30-day speech? Right. <laughs> uh, by having a vision and a purpose. Beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. So we're, we're right now in June 2022, and it's no secret that families, the country, the world is struggling with inflation. There's an effect on household expenses. Um, businesses are, are struggling to keep up. There are price increases. And then you throw in private school tuition, yeshiva tuition, and other costs of Orthodox Jewish living, such as kosher pricing. What, do you, what message do you have for families at a time like this? <clears throat> hey, be happy with what you got. <laughs> no, 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 just absolutely not. Um, we can do a whole lot better than that. Mm -hmm. Uh, first of all, I, um, I say, please divide the problem into two. Let's look at short-term and long-term, right? Only the Biden administration had the audacity and the gall to say that inflation is transitory and that it's caused by the Russian president. Mm -hmm. No, we know what causes inflation. There is only one thing, and that is printing money 
and quantitative easing, which is a behind-the-scenes way of doing exactly the same thing. When the government wants to spend money it doesn't have and it wants to tax indirectly, because raising taxes, one of the best ways of raising taxes invisibly is inflation, just print money, and you're basically taking money out of our pockets and anybody who's gone to the market recently knows or filled up your car at the gas station, you know that that's exactly what's happened. Um, but, but we do understand what's going on. And uh, we don't think it's transitory. We don't think that we're going to magically, um, you know, wake up uh, on uh, Erev Tishabov and it's going to be uh, instantly solved. No, it's not like that. It's, mm. it's a longer-lasting problem. And so let's divide our challenge into two. Uh, immediate short-term, meaning over the next few weeks, you know, how do we deal with the rising expenses? And slightly longer term, what are we going to do about it? The longer term is, um, is, is a little bit easier because the only reliable way to deal with inflation is to make more money. The government is basically taking away more of your money. It's as if your tax rate suddenly went up. Um, if you would actually uh, use children's blocks to represent a sum of money and show, okay, this is my uh, before-tax income 10 years ago. This is my before-tax income now. Hopefully, it's, it's higher than 10 years ago. And now, let's look at what tax took out of it 10 years ago, and we end up with what I can spend as mine over here. And let's do the same thing here. And you discover, oops, although my, t my tower of bricks representing my uh, gross income is more, what I'm actually left with is less. So the only solution to that is you have to make more money. And, and that's what my books are about. That's what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. um, there are ways to increase your income. There are ways to enhance your revenue. Listen, getting out of debt, really important. Dave Ramsey is the only person in the world you want to talk to if you're in debt. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, investing money you have speak to Fidelity or, or one of those guys. There's plenty of people who will help you invest. But if your problem is, <laughs> I'm just, I'm, I'm being buried here. I just, I, I just don't, you have to make more money. You got to. How? Okay, well, we'll, we'll come to that in <clears throat> just a moment. Uh, if I may, let's go back to the short-term problem. What do, you, what do you do short-term? Short-term, you have to cut expenses. Now, this takes real courage. Now, you know, there, there are certain things, there are human characteristics that are not default conditions. The default condition for, for all mammals and for all human beings is cowardice, not courage. That's the default. But uh, Moshe Rabbeinu had to speak to Yoshua and, uh, and he had to say to him, Chazak ve'ematz. Be strong and of good courage. Hey, if that came naturally, mm -hmm. and that gets repeated a few times, if it came naturally, that wouldn't... No, courage is hugely difficult to achieve, but very important for successful living. Uh, to be able to, to face our, uh, our challenges instead of uh, averting our eyes from them, hoping they'll go away if we don't confront them. No. Not at all, and that's, and that's why the phrase Be'etzem Hayom which is horribly translated as on that self-same day, 
is the, the, the word used, the phrase used for Noah getting into the ark. You know, you know what happened. I mean, people have been threatening Noah for more than 100 years while he's been building the ark. And, uh, and God says to Noah, okay, like it's noontime, get into the ark. Noah says, God, I haven't quite finished packing. And, and you know what? I'm still, I, I got to find one zebra. How about we, I'll, give me 12 hours. We'll, we'll board the ark at midnight. Well, I know why he says that, because all the folks said to Noah, listen, we don't know if it's going to rain or not, but if it does and you try get in the ark, we'll kill you. You're going nowhere. Yeah. Right? He, he wasn't popular at all. And so God says, no, I'm sorry. You're going to have to go in the middle of the day in front of everybody. Stand erect, confront them, walk right in. Yeah. Um, God says to Abraham, circumcise yourself, right? Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Um, what, now? God said, yeah, now, middle of the day, which is why we have Brit Milad, right? To this day, we don't do them in the nighttime. Uh, Abraham says back to God, this is part of my addition. Uh, you won't find this in the text. But Abraham says to God, listen, God, I've got to get a caterer. I'm going to get the moil. I mean, it's going to take me time. I suggest we do this at about 11 o'clock tonight. I know why he says that, because he lives in a culture where mutilating the body in any way, shape, or form is, is undoable. Today, of course, we live in a time where mutilating young people's bodies is fine for everything except Brit Milah. Mm-hmm. But um, God says, no, I've got to do it now. Standing erect and confronting the challenges is a hugely important part of successful living. And I didn't I, we see from Abraham Avram that he was Vayash Kemba Boker. He did get up early with his with a zealousness that exactly. is admirable. That's exactly right. Yeah, which is you know if you're if you're feeling less than courageous about problems you have in life, um, you stay in bed late in the morning, and doctors say, oh you got depression. <laughs> I'm not depression. I'm I'm just Letting myself go, that's all. Mm-hmm. Uh, happiness is like that as well. Right? The Torah says you've got to be happy. Happiness is not a natural condition. Exuding misery. I want to share with you all my problems. That's mm-hmm. the natural condition, which is a horrible thing to do. Imagine marrying somebody and discovering that they've never learnt the principle of happiness. And you're now stuck with a miserable person. That's awful. Mm-hmm. It's a terrible thing. So things like happiness and courage are... Uh, are, are things that God expects us to develop. And I, I, I say that because the immediate short-term problem of dealing with inflation requires courage. Um, I'll give you uh, an example. COVID uh, taught the Jewish community that a, a young man and a young woman can actually build their life together and have a marriage in a backyard for about $75. Right? I know some beautiful young couples who are proud of showing me their pictures of the marriage in the parents' backyard because they were living in an area where gatherings were prohibited. But you and I have friends. Uh, we have families. What do people spend on weddings? Don't tell me. Now, if the person is, uh, is, is very comfortable, like the wedding I have, uh, played a role in last night uh, great god bless them good luck to them but for the rest of the folks for whom making a marriage you know you've got six kids three of them are girls um and you worry the cost of a wedding mm. you know what 
it's going to take a lot of courage. Backyard wedding is just fine. Dun, 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 dun. We've told you about them, and we're going to tell you again. Kolel Chabad, the longest-running charity in Israel. They're giving out free pushkas. We have a link in the show notes if you're watching on YouTube or in your podcast app. Click on the link. Get a free pushka. This is what it looks like if you're watching on YouTube. It's colorful. It's beautiful. And we want it to be full. So grab a pushka. It's a Reb Meir Balanes organization. So everyone knows the ritual. If you lose something, you dedicate money to Reb Meir Balanes in the hopes of finding it. Give your money. Um, and they've been doing this since 1788. I actually was on a, in a house recently. And I walked in, and this colorful pushka was sitting there. And I said, "Hey, where did you, where do you, where do you learn? Where, where do you uh, learn about kolchavi?" She's like, "I've been getting it for years." So, this place has been around, and I'm excited that more and more people are donating. You don't need to get the pushka to donate. You can go to their website, kolchabad.org/koshermoney, see all they do to help Israel's neediest, and we appreciate that you. Are helping one of the kosher money sponsors, but more importantly, helping the needy of Israel. Now back to this week's episode. Something more real. There's something more pure. I guess the weddings of yesteryear. Thinking back to Europe, yeah. um, with these backyard weddings. This, uh, there's something else. I mean, I mean, I read Mishpacha magazine. They're, they're expected gifts mm-hmm. in the yichud room. The, the chosen is supposed to give the kala a gift, a jewelry. I mean, this stuff adds up. Says who? Who 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 established these rules? You gotta have courage and you've got to stand and say, you know what? We're breaking this. There is a system of living in the code of Jewish law, Shulchanaruch. I keep that. But the customs that are added on in order to sort of maintain social sorry, not doing those. Um another one. Um we, uh, our family goes, we, we do our vacation boating in British Columbia. And uh, just at the start of a beautiful, beautiful inlet between tall snow-covered mountains um, are called Princess Louisa Inlet. Louisa Inlet. There's, a, there's a camp run by a, a Christian organization. Young Life is the camp. And, and we've, we've gone by there occasionally. And beautiful. I mean, they have a lovely time. And the children come from all around the country, and they're, they're able to spend. How long do children go to camp for? One week. How long do our children go to camp for? Three weeks, five weeks, six weeks. Says who? Tuition killing you? There's something called homeschooling. People will say that's not so practical in today's time. When yeah, it's only only about two million children in the United States of America are doing it. How many Orthodox? <clears throat> well, more and more. Happily, I'm proud to say, yeah. um, uh, my wife and I, uh, I think, certainly helped to influence the trend in that direction. How many? If I had to guess, how many Orthodox Jewish children are homeschooling today? Um, a few hundred, mm-hmm. yeah. It's it's much more practical than people think. And when I mean, I hear what people pay for private. Look, you can't send your children to Gicks. Mm-hmm. Right, a Gick is a government indoctrination camp. It's an institution that used to be called a public school. You can't send your children to a Gick. Out of the question. Today, it's literally you're kissing your children. Goodbye. You're saying you're you're saying their souls simply don't matter. Mm. 
So you have to do something else. Private schools, tens of thousands of dollars a year. You've got four children, five children at a private school. Or, or worse yet, couples decide not to have children because they can't pay. T- no, this is not good. You think there will be an increased movement in that direction? After three million people see this show mm-hmm. and learn that homeschooling is far more, not only far easier than you imagine it, but far more rewarding. One of the greatest gifts of many gifts that Susan Lappin gave me was staying home and educating seven children from start to finish. Uh, Some of our girls went to Beis Yaakov for 10th and 11th and 12th grade. Mm -hmm. Um, Some didn't, but everyone, everyone homeschooled. And uh, our children, thank God, are, are doing just fine. I, I, I really, I'm, I'm speaking very seriously. As a, as a Jewish person, you can substantially cut down, right? I don't want you to cut down on chon for Shabbos. Mm-hmm. I don't want you to, to cut down on wine for Kiddush. Um, but it's time to reevaluate. Uh, do you really need a, an expensive event for a, for a happy occasion, for a simcha? Uh, do you really have to pay private school tuition? No. And very often mothers work and you say, why are you working? What happened to Kavoda Bas Melech Panima? What happened to the biblical verse that says the honor of a princess is in the home? What happened to that? No, we're sending her to commute for an hour to work every day and then to work in a working around there. And she'll say very often, well, we gotta, I have to help cover tuition. Very often, lady, what you're making isn't a whole lot more than the tuition in the first place. Quit work, you're a, it's a wash right there. And now homeschool. And the values and the qualities and the sheer magic this brings to your family is unimaginable. I, I've lived it and experienced it. You mentioned earlier um, ads in Jewish magazines. It's something I mentioned to my wife recently in that Maybe it's a form of assimilation, but these lavish jewelry ads and meat boards and... An expensive property. Property. Overseas. Right. You know, why manage your second or third home yourself when you can have a management team do that? And I'm thinking to myself, A, many people can't afford their first home, and B, what message are we giving to them? There should be some sort of, some level of responsibility on the uh, Orthodox Jewish publication to look at the ads and say, what pressures are we putting on people that are flipping through this magazine and subconsciously telling themselves, either what am I doing wrong, or hey, I have to tell my wife, we need to purchase A, B, and C, because apparently that's what Orthodox Jews do these days. Yeah, Um, I don't entirely agree with you, because I think that um, uh, community sanctions Mm -hmm. and pressure from above has to be used very sparingly, whether it is governmental uh, or whether it's communal. And so I would be reluctant as a community to say, well, uh, I'm part of an association of rabbis, and hello, Mr. Magazine, we're here to tell you, cut out those advertisers. I wouldn't want to do that. Um, They've got to pay their bills, and advertisers of of luxury goods pay uh, pay for advertisements. I have a a right as a homeowner, I can decide whether to have that magazine in my home or not. 
And if I feel that my family is going to be made unhappy by the lavish uh, demonstration of, uh, of luxury goods, then there's lots of things I don't allow in my home. Mm-hmm. And there would be another one. Um, alternatively, I might say, look, I, I'm raising my children to, to have a mature understanding of money and a realistic understanding of money. Uh, we do not believe in equality. We believe in freedom. And uh, some people are going to have more, some people are going to have less. We don't even actually have a, a simple definition of rich and poor. It's always comparative. So, uh, you know, thank God that there are people in the Jewish community that can afford those things. That's beautiful and that's wonderful. And you know what? My blessing for you is that one of your five Fs is finance. You should one day be able to have one of those as well. Right now, in order for that to happen, you need to go to the next room where mother is getting ready to start today's homeschool class mm-hmm. in economics and finance. So, so yeah, I mean, I think uh, I, I do see that, but, but I, I'm loath to say, and the same way with weddings, by the way, I, mm-hmm. along with, with some other rabbis, Rabbi Howard, who I think you've spoken sure. with, yeah. who uh, I admire greatly, um, uh, has, has said and, and he's absolutely right. We don't want to tell people that you're not allowed to make a big wedding. God blessed you with the ability. God bless it. That's wonderful. Enjoy yeah. it. People have to be able to be mature about it, and people have to have an understanding of they have to fight against the very understandable uh, human tendency of jealousy and envy, and, and we make ourselves better people. Yeah, he, he did say even these takanos or... or societal pressures and rules they don't even work anyway so yes um but yeah th- this idea of being chazak viamats being strong and courageous yes it's not being, natural it's not a default you got to work at it right. got to raise courageous children so when you're flipping through those ads you're not yeah. uh, distracted I, i'm happy I, I look at them and i say what a beautiful time in history to be living uh-huh. when the the dominant financial characteristic of jews is not abject poverty and destitution but um, the question, <laughs> the question of what what vacation home in Jerusalem to buy, <laughs> that's good. Thank God, it's wonderful. So on that note, if someone was to hand you ten million dollars, a hundred million dollars, surprise, great uncle passes away, they knock on your door. Who is it, Rabbi Lapin? We have a hundred million dollars in your name. How would you like to spend it? What would be your response to to that question? Um, well, Ellie, it is surprisingly difficult to give money away without causing more, more harm than help. People don't always realize that. But if you're not sure, just look at the life history of um, uh, uh, lottery winners who suddenly get $10 million. And, and you see lives almost invariably that have deteriorated and are unrecognizably miserable. Um, it is very, very difficult to give large sums of money, or, or for that matter, even smaller sums of money away without causing harm rather than help. Very, very hard. Um, and so uh, if, if, the, if the challenge was, how would I help the most number of people um, in the most meaningful way with $10 million, uh, I think I would probably start a company and uh, I would try to hire the people I want to help who need good jobs mm-hmm. and I would try and uh, 
buy um, my uh, supplies and needs from vendors who I, I want to help, basically through the power of business as opposed to just giving. And, and we know, in fact, do we not, that in the hierarchy of chesed and tzedakah, uh, helping people set up in business and becoming independent is far, far better than the governmental model mm -hmm. of turning them into permanent dependents. Is there a lesson there for um, wealthy people when it comes to transitional wealth? If they're handing it down to a newly married couple and they have the ability to pay all their bills. Is there a message there for that person to do it in a way that is constructive rather than destructive? Yeah, the problem is, you know, when is the right time to start educating your child? Mm -hmm. How, at what age should you start chinuch banim? When do you start educating your children? When the child is three, four, two? How about birth? Well, actually, you're nine months late already. Mm. You're going to have to race to catch up. That's why God gives us nine months to seriously get ready. And part of that is to sit down with one's spouse and figure out what the, the pattern of education is going to be, number one. Number two, certain principles, hugely important. Um, husband and wife father and mother never disagree in front of the child i'm not saying susan and i have never disagreed we've had arguments that we've had to take to my father to settle mm -hmm. but i once checked with our children not all of them i checked with some of us did you ever see us ever ever hear or see us arguing with each other no and and so i think we did that part right amidst many 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 mistakes uh, but we did that part right, and it's scary and unsettling for a child to see. Their it's not parents. good. Yeah, yeah, it's not, and it's not good for the marriage mm -hmm. because taking sides all, all together, it's just plain bad news. Mm -hmm. So, um, in, in the same way, to start educating uh, your your child to be able to take over assets, because again, inheritance is not again a natural thing in the world of socialism. Um, the ideal death tax is 100%. They don't want you to be able to pass on anything to your child as opposed to all the other children of society mm -hmm. and government will be your convenient, happy paymaster. Mm -hmm. No, the Torah decrees exactly what should happen to a person's assets when they pass on to Hashem. And these, it has to go to children. The trouble is that it's far too late to start educating children what to do with wealth at that point. And don't think that if you send your child to yeshiva, the child's going to learn that. He's not. It's your responsibility. Especially if you're homeschooling, right? For then there's no <laughs> question about it. That's right. So, uh, and, and a lot of that comes, you know, you asked earlier about um, uh, what to do to increase, you know, let's say you decide, you, you, you know, short term, I've got to cut expense, I've got to use my courage and take away expenses that I, that I don't really need, but I do for social reasons and convention. Um, but increasing revenues is the longer term solution to inflation. And it's, it's hugely important. Multiple streams of revenue are very, very important. How, how do you do it? What are you supposed to do? Uh, well, you know, there, uh, there are so many guys in Lakewood that have learned 
to be Amazon resellers, that Amazon is actually aware of them as a group. And, and that's a wonderful thing. There are guys there that realized that here is a way of, of using technology um, to be able to support their families. It's beautiful. It's, there are always things like that. But the first key is something we spoke about a little bit earlier, which is connection. The Book of Ruth. Good time of the year to be thinking about it. Um, speak to people. You know, there's a reason why so many Jewish names were trade names. It wasn't an accident, right? Um, one of the uh, the great business uh, advisors was the late Peter Drucker. Drucker is a, a printer in German and Yiddish. Drucker. That's what it was. It's like walking around with a great big business card or a, or a uh, billboard pasted to your forehead. Hi, you know, my name is, um, is uh, Gold, Goldsmith, Goldberg, Silversmith, Silverman, whatever you want. Oh, you know what? I need to buy some jewelry for my son's new bride because custom says I have to. And, and so can I come and see? Yeah, that's great. We just met. You've got to talk to people. You've got to meet there and you've got to say uh, I'm thinking of uh, looking for new opportunities. Do you have any advice? And you'll find connections start happening. So that's very important. Number two is um, understand the power of the shooter foot. The understand the partner, the idea of a partnership. Um, again, very, very important. You know, in, in the Talmudic structure, as we move our way through from Baba Kama and Baba Metziah and Baba Basra, uh, we're, we find that we're actually giving ourselves an education. I wish this was taught properly in yeshiva. Mm-hmm. And I, when I, I, I give shurim to young guys, and, and they know the mesechtas, but what's the reason these are in order? Like, you know, why don't we have psachim A and psachim B? Right, what's going on here? It's really important, right? Uh, you got to understand that Hashem is giving us a, a pattern for the development of economic interaction. And so Bovakama starts off with uh, Avos Nazikin damages, ways that human beings can inadvertently and sometimes deliberately hurt one another. That's the initial stage of human cooperation. We don't know each other. We're just starting this. We can hurt each other. Okay, let's, let's get that part right. Okay, terrific. Then we come to Bov Metzia. Now we talk about, hey, we're friends. Everything's good. Hey, friends can have disagreements too. Shnai, Mochzi, and Two of us can say, hey, wait a sec. You know, this is mine. No, I think this is mine. I sold it to you on this day not on that day good and then finally now we're talking partnerships the power of partnership is embedded in a jewish worldview and we don't do ourselves a service by fixing our car on sunday afternoon and uh, doing our income taxes on monday night and tuesday night and wednesday night and uh, mowing the lawn on thursday no there are lawn mowing companies, hire them. There are tax companies, use them. There are motor mechanics, use them. Because if you try and do everything for yourself, you're violating the principle of the brochachron, of our grace after meals, where we thank God for creating lots of human beings, the and their needs. Well, if nobody else had any needs, I'd starve to death. The only way I eat is because I supply other people's needs. How do you square the two of cutting expenses but yet hiring 
with a gardener. Uh, and you're right. It's short-term, longer-term. Right. If, if, you're, if you're literally uh, having trouble uh, with finding out that the month lasts longer than your, your, mm-hmm. in, your, your budget, uh, yeah, then you have to cut wherever you can. But mm-hmm. the goal is to reach a point where what you do is much more valuable. Uh, if I help somebody write a business plan in the two hours it would have taken me to mow the lawn, I'd be crazy mm-hmm. because I get paid far, far, far more than the $30 I pay the teenager down the road who mows my lawn for me. Mm-hmm. So these are important principles. Finding a partner, seeing if uh, you find somebody, not as somebody who you like and get on with and agree with everything because you need somebody who is uh, a male and female to you in the sense that uh, – Creativity and productivity only comes from people with different abilities. So if I'm a good inside person, I love sitting in the workshop making widgets on a, uh, on a machine tool, but I'm, I haven't the faintest idea of how to reach the people who actually need widgets, well, then I'm going to look for a partner. And if I'm a really good talker and I, I'm, I'm really good at, at selling and communicating with people all i got to do is find that lonely widget manufacturer who's scratching his head figuring he's there mm-hmm. you just have to talk to enough people you'll find him in the times of our forefathers people regularly lived hundreds of years right mr shalach well over 900 years as the average age of people increase it's not crazy to think that the world's slowly progressing where the average age will be over 100 years old soon so do you think people are working later in life because longevity is, is a real factor in all of this? People are living longer. And if someone told you, Rabbi Lappin, we've come a long way in, in aging cures and things of that nature, you're going to be living to 250 years old. What would you do in the short term and what would you do in the long term? <laughs> Loaded well, question. Yeah. Uh, so, um, you know, the, the truth is that it's much, much better um, for society for people to live longer than shorter. In the same way that it's also better for society for people to have what to lose. Believe me, I would be terrified to live in a neighborhood where all the other people in my neighborhood feel they've got nothing to lose. Mm-hmm. Because they've got nothing to lose, they will behave recklessly maybe dangerously, maybe criminally. Uh, I want to live among people who have a lot to lose. And I want to live among people who think long-term, not short-term. So let me answer your question by looking at the corollary of that for just a moment. And that is, what do you do if, God forbid, the doctor tells him that um, he's got three days to live? You know what he does? First of all, draws up a list, like the Lord High Executioner in... um, in the Mikado, the Gilbert and Sullivan operetta, I've got a little list. I draw up a list of all the people I'm really mad at, all my enemies. Mm-hmm. And then I take a 357 Magnum and I do away with them. Like, what are they going to do? Like, execute me? Ha, 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 ha. So I'll take care of them. And then uh, a few other items of business I'll take care of as well. So it's really not good for people to have a short-term uh, vision of the future really not good and in fact i mean just a lot of some of the awful things that happen in society is because people don't see themselves as having much of a future mm. um conversely now i'm going to live for hundreds and hundreds of years <laughs> this is great as the talmud tells us first thing i'm going to do is plant an orchard 
because I'm going to get to enjoy the fruit, even if it takes 70 years. That's good. Uh, I'm going to do some long-term investments. I'm going to buy land uh, outside of, of the town because over the next 100 or 200 years, the town is going to spread in that direction. I'm pretty sure it's going to go in that direction, not in that direction. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to get into the land development business. That's good for everybody, and so on and so forth. So one of the great gifts of children is that they make us live forever. They see, uh, they, and that's the whole idea of the Torah view of, of um, inheritance and so on. Um, you know, our lives would be very different if the Lord did not allow us to leave anything to our children. Okay, fine. You've just you've robbed me of a large part of my motivation. So uh, children give us immortality, and immortality is a good thing. After all, it's only the uh, the that little snafu in the Garden of Eden that brought death into the world. So if we can defeat it through the immortality that children bring us, that's one of the great gifts of fertility. And, and it's a beautiful thing that of the industrialized countries of the West, Israel is way ahead in fertility. Israel has a fertility rate, and, and, and it's everybody. It's, it's, it's a beautiful thing. It's the only place in the world I've traveled where, you know, you wait at a light to cross a busy intersection, and I'm just standing there, and some kid comes along, and I've never seen this kid before, sticks a grubby hand in my hand, holds onto my hand when the light turns green and holds my hand walking. We get to the other side, kid leaves go and, and runs. Or his mom told him, you've got to hold an adult's hand when you cross the street. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, that, that's Israel. Um, the fertility rate in the United States of America is now below replacement, mm -hmm. uh, a financial disaster for the long term. Mm. So, yeah, no, uh, children grant one the, the, uh, the virtual impact of living for hundreds of years. I want to end with this, um, this thought because you, you see many righteous people living in poverty. They're following the ways of the Torah and... We know that there's a bigger picture. This world's just a hallway in, and this is temporary. Mm -hmm. But how do you view saintly people living in poverty? Is there something bigger at play? Tell us about that. Yeah. Um, it's always painful. It's always hard. Um, we don't like to see anybody suffer. And particularly, uh, we see that person as uh, as an example. You know, gosh, the, the life that that he or she or they are living. Um, when I say they, I don't mean a, a vague pronoun. I mean the family. Mm -hmm. um, they. Uh, we so lovely if God could bless them with wealth. Mm -hmm. I, I want to give a, an analogy. Imagine the same tzaddik. The same righteous person, the same saintly person, um, goes up onto the roof of a 50-story building, and he jumps off. And after an initially thrilling ride, he comes to a very sudden stop that ends his time on this earth. And he comes before our Creator, and He's got a really indignant look on his heavenly face. And God says to him, like, excuse me, what are, you, what are you looking like that for? He says, how could you do this to me? What did I do? Well, you didn't rescue me. You did nothing to help me. What are you talking about? Well, I'm telling you, I came off the top of the building. You had a good 
four, five, six seconds to swoop in there and lower me gently to the ground. You're God, but you didn't do it. And our Kodesh Baruch Hu's answer is very simple. I put you on this earth to get to know it. Right? One of the ways that you get to know any artist is by looking at his work. Right? You want to know me? That's, how it's, that's why the Ramam starts the, uh, the Mishnah Torah with the idea of it's, you have to know, not believe. You've got to know. The only way you know is by studying the world so you get to know the Creator. There's a reason why the overwhelming majority of scientific advances of the last four centuries uh, up until the, the, the 20th were done by Bible-believing Christians because the Bible is a clue to the unity of creation and therefore it makes perfect sense to look for an explanation for gravity or an explanation for electrostatic attraction and to not be that shocked when the formula arrangement of these two separate and distinct forces look identical. Um, yeah, why shouldn't they? You know, it, it, so you're supposed to get to know this earth. One of the things you should know is a thing called gravity. And that means I don't have to tell you about that. I don't tell Jews, make sure you breathe regularly. I leave that to you. Mm. I don't say, Jews, make sure you eat three meals a day. I leave that to you. I don't tell you, watch out for gravity. I leave that to you. You should have done that. Finance and economics fall into the same category. Uh, which is why there is a, uh, a, a tradition, all the way the Vilna Gaon was big on this, there's a strong tradition to study economics, to understand money, because it's very difficult to understand the foundations of a quarter of the code of Jewish law if you don't actually understand the nature of what money is. How does it work? It's a, it's a very important thing. And so um, the same thing applies we we say to this guy hey i'm really sorry that you lived in poverty and i do accept that there there's you know bad luck things happen and maybe that was maybe that was your situation in which case i apologize and if there's any way i can help you i'd like to help you but for many 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 people it's because they operate on the basis that all i've got to do is be at tzaddik all i have to do is be righteous and HaKadosh Baruch Hu will, will send me everything I need. And furthermore, um, misunderstandings, oversimplifications of complex Mishnayas. You know, on this day, God decides your, what your income for the year is going to be. Okay, I get that. So therefore, I may as well sit back, go to Florida, relax. No, that's not how it works. You're trivializing a very deep and profound topic that better people than us have poured over for centuries to get a full understanding of. So it's easy to fall into that trap. And, and by the way, the secular world does it as well with books like The Secret and things like that. The Law of Attraction. Oh, you just got to will these things and the Ferrari will come to you. No, that's not actually how the world really works. You have to deliver something to the world as well. That's what God wants. And so uh, we have to say to this person, uh, yeah, God set up a wonderful world 
where he actually incentivized you to do what he wants you to do. He wants you to be obsessively preoccupied with the needs and desires of all his other children. And if you do that, you, call, you get something called pay or salary or profit or wages. That's how it works. And so it's, it's not something fully and clearly understood. Uh, does, does God want me to be rich? I have no idea. He doesn't tell me everything. I don't know. But I do know that he does want me to be obsessively preoccupied with trying to fill the needs of other people. And when I do that, and I am showered with abundance, it doesn't surprise me. A, a good and loving Hashem, <laughs> of course that's what he does. But you've got to do your part. And your part, the fact that you are, uh, that you pray three times a day, Shachris, Mincha, Marivur, in the synagogue, very important, you've got to do that. But that's the start, not the end. Learning Torah, absolutely. Can't not do that. Talmud Torah, connect. yeah, you've got to learn. But that's the start. That's not all there is. You also have to make a living. You have to have a wife. You have to have children. You have to let them live. You've got to be able to give something of significance to other people. That means making some money. And so overcoming uh, overcoming the embarrassment of making money is one of the biggest obstacles facing um, some of the people I'm helping move on from Kolo because both them and their wives are embarrassed that they're no longer in learning. Very difficult to deal with. Again, courage, insight, and a love of truth become hugely important. And just to crystallize this, the idea that Sadiqim, righteous people, or some righteous people do not have large loads of money, it's not to say that they're not giving back or helping others. It could be that their financial success is not their focus. That's not what they clearly are not, they're not striving for that, right? Absolutely. But um, there's a different, yeah, no, no question about it. Uh, would many people who are focused on spiritual areas, would they do better if they would divert some of their energy and attention to what is needed to make a living? No question. Mm -hmm. They're not going to become you know, Elon Musk. They don't have to. But they will certainly make a living, absolutely. That, that is, is very important. Um, but, but yes, the, uh, um, the, the idea is that Again, it's the integrating, the totality, the holistic aspect of it. Um, I, I believe, and I, and I think I can prove it from Torah sources, that, uh, that the person who actually has a few dollars and doesn't have worry on his head financially um, has a better spiritual connection and a, a more foundational spiritual reality than um, than somebody who does and uh, and you know there's some lovely Jewish families like I said I was I was at a family wedding not not my family somebody else's but it was a lovely family it was uh, they had friends they had tremendous emphasis on family they have fortune they have finances and I thought what a what a beautiful model of a family uh, they study they learn they they relate to God and they have 
they, they, they help a lot of people and they got family. It, there is a totality and uh, I'm not a better person than you because I spurn the uh, horrors of money and devote myself entirely to the base of Medrash and nothing else. That doesn't make me a better person than you. Well, Rabbi Lappin, thank you so much for joining us. Looking forward to many more conversations in the future, and it's great having you. Thank you very much, Ali. It's wonderful to be back here on Kosher Money. Thanks for listening to another episode of Kosher Money. We couldn't do this without you. If you're listening to this in 2022, we're nearing 100,000 subscribers on YouTube, and we couldn't thank you enough. But if you're not a subscriber, hit the subscribe button. If you're looking and you're like, wait, they're up to 114,000. That means we passed it, but we still want to get to 200,000. And so on and so forth. We're on every podcast platform you can think of. Videos on YouTube are attracting hundreds of thousands of views, nearing a million, some of them. And we're excited. That means people are enjoying what we're sharing. And we love your suggestions. So if you have a suggestion about a guest or a topic... Visit livinglachaim.com, click on the suggestion tab. Check out other, the other podcasts that Yaakov is producing, such as Inspiration for the Nation, very inspiring talks. He has Spirit of the Song, the meanings behind Jewish music. Charlene Amanoff has a podcast geared for women. He has That's an Issue, which is a terrific mental health episode. Uh, It's a really, really great platform, and I'm excited about what's next. We do have a few really cool episodes in the works, and we're willing to travel. So if you have a guest, that's amazing. In Cleveland, in Florida, overseas, we'll go there. Don't be afraid to give us a a suggestion. You have criticism? We love criticism. No, feedback of all kinds is really accepted. Until next time, keep your money kosher. I'm Ellie Linger, and I'm done for this week. Peace. Living L'chaim.